Good morning, everybody. How are you? Tired? I heard a tired out there somewhere. Okay. I, I, I can identify. I, I understand that. I get it. I get it. Oh, man. We are excited that you're all here, whether you're a guest uh, here for the first time or you're a regular attender. Thank you for making Celebration Center part of your Sunday morning. This is exciting. I'm, I'm excited to be here with you guys because um, we do some good stuff here. We really do. We do a lot of good stuff here. As a matter of fact, a number of you who are regular attenders uh, here are participated in the gift tree that we had out in the south lobby out here. Um, we had 75 tags on that tree for foster children who needed some gifts. 75 tags. Uh, and, sorry, a little drippy nose. Um, you guys took them all. Not some of them, not a few of them. You took all of those tags. And as a matter of fact, I've got a picture here I want to show you. This is uh, Lindsay Mayer's van. You guys packed it out, man. <laughs> Give yourselves a, a round of applause. That, that's really good. I am so proud of this church. You guys stepped up. You loved some kids in a very tangible way and gave them something that they may not have otherwise had. Okay? So this is this is incredible. This is the kind of thing that we want to be involved in. This is what we want to be about here at Celebration Center. And it really, it's about, it, we, we do these kinds of things because of the very thing we're talking about this morning, hope. Hope. It's because we have hope, right? We, uh, this morning we're continuing our Christmas series, The Hope of Christmas. And here's the big idea we're working off of. Because of the birth of Jesus, we have hope. And some of you out there are thinking, well, duh, right? That, that's, that's a little kind of just vague and nebulous and general, right? Um, but it's true. Because of the birth of Jesus, we have hope. Have you ever been in a situation in your life where you felt hopeless? Think about that. Maybe it's with a child. You've got a child. You just don't know what to do with this child. Maybe it's your spouse. What do I do with this person? I love them, but they're driving me nuts. Maybe it's a financial situation. Maybe it's a health situation. But you've been in a position where you feel like there's no way out. And so you just feel the walls closing in on you. Has any, raise your hand. Anybody here besides me ever felt anything like that? Yeah. We all have, right? Here's the good news. Because of the birth of Jesus Christ, we have hope. The walls are pushed out. The light is streaming in. And it's not because of what we have done. It's not because of what you have done or what I have done. It is because God has decided to take action. God gives us hope. We have a living hope because of Jesus. Now, it's... It's not the kind of hope that looks for quick fixes to our problems, okay? I remember a time my daughter Abigail was, oh, a year and a half or two years old, something like that. I came home from work. I, I saw her, her bedroom light on. I go to her door. I, I, I look in there, and there she is on the floor with some crayons. Abby is not supposed to have crayons in her bedroom because bad things happen, when there are crayons, when she was this old, when she had crayons in her bedroom. 
I didn't yell at her. I didn't, you know, blow up or anything like that. But she was so involved in what she was doing. She was totally oblivious to me, even being at the door. I said, hey, Abby, what are you doing? And before I got the entire question out, I kid you not, she jumps up. The crayons are flying through the air and she just bolts for the for the nearest exit. Unfortunately, the direction that she bolted to was a wall. She just smack, ran right into the wall, bounced off of it. It was, I laughed. I had to laugh. It was pretty funny. The hope we have is not that immediate fix to a problem that we're trying to escape. Sometimes that's what we try to do, though. We, we look for the quickest way out. We throw up a Hail Mary, so to speak, right? How do I get out of this mess, and how do I get out of it now? Other times, our hopes amount to wishful thinking, daydreams. Daydreams with no action or substance to them other than just the desire or the, the outcome that we want. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand right now, but have you ever dreamt about what you would do if you won the lottery? Or if somebody just gave you an insane amount of money, just gifted it to you, dropped it in your lap, what would you do with it? I've, I've had those daydreams. Is that realistic? No. First of all, I'd have to play the lottery to even win it. Okay? My wife keeps telling me that. Man, if we just won the lottery, well, Nathan, you got to win it. You got to play it first. Um, neither of those hopes are part of the hope of Christmas. Neither one of them. The hope we're talking about is not a quick fix to our unwanted circumstances, and it's not also not a pie in the sky daydream. Okay. The hope available to us is grounded in the God who has acted. Most of the time we look at hope and we think of something in the future. We look for a preferred outcome, a preferred situation, whether that's our health, our finances, relationships, whatever. We're looking for something else, something other. But our hope isn't bound in something other. It's bound in something that has been done. It's tied to the past. It's tied to what God has done on our behalf, in rescuing us, bringing us into his kingdom as participants in his work of making everything new. Last week, we began talking about this by looking at Mary's song, known as Magnificat. And we, we talked a little bit about this, how this is revolutionary stuff. What Mary sings here, it's, it's revolutionary stuff. I, I think I mentioned last week that there have been, that I know of three nations in the history of the world that have actually banned this song from being read or sung because they were afraid that the disenfranchised would rise up and do something. <laughs> they said, no, you can't, you can't read this. You can't sing this. Th this is not a Mary meek and mild this is a Mary standing up and saying, my God is big. He's bigger than Herod. He's bigger than Rome. My God is big. She has hope. Here's what she said. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful 
Have you ever felt, felt forgotten? He has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. In this song, we encounter the God who goes to battle on behalf of disenfranchised people, bearing his arm the way he did for Israel, bringing them out of Egypt. Being faithful to his people, remembering his promises and his covenant. God's justice and his mercy running hand in hand. So often I think we, we look at justice and we think of it as more along the lines of revenge. It's somebody's getting squashed, but that's not justice. Justice is about making things the way they're supposed to be. And that's what God does, all while being merciful. So we've got his justice, and we've got his mercy, and they're running together. As he fulfills his promise to rule the world, to be the king. That's what Christmas is all about. That is what we celebrate at Christmas time. God's justice and his mercy for us, for me. Knowing full well that I don't deserve it. But because of his great love, the world celebrates Christmas a little bit differently. We've got a quick video here for you. Don't forget you this holiday season. I, I see that commercial, I have to admit, I laugh. It's funny. It's okay. You can laugh. It's okay to laugh. All right? God has a sense of humor. It's okay. But behind this commercial is, is a deeper trend. It's a deeper idea of what Christmas is about. It's about you. Life is about you. It's about what you get. It's about what you need to take for yourself because, doggone it, you deserve it. What's held out to us in the birth of Jesus is far different 
than that emptiness that's wrapped up in self-gratification. It's a living hope that doesn't fade or disappoint because it's based on what God has accomplished in fulfilling his promises. It doesn't mean that we don't go through the difficult stuff. It means that in the middle of the difficult stuff, the relational, the financial, the health, whatever else you can think of, we, we have the hope because God has brought light. We have the hope because Jesus has come and rescued us. Even in those situations. So how do we live in that hope? How do we live in it? Who wants to live in that kind of hope? I do. I want to. I want to be there. Last week we looked at the first part of the answer to this question. To live in the hope of Christmas is to celebrate God. We saw how, how Mary celebrated God. That, that this song that she sung was a celebration of God from beginning to end. It's a celebration. It's focused outward away from her and on the God who is doing the rescuing. We saw how the pathway to celebrating God is to remember who we were and what God has done and then to look forward to what God will do and who we are becoming. That's how we celebrate. This week we're going to talk about expecting. Expecting. To live in this hope, we need to expect. And that's our, that's our big idea this morning. To live in hope is to expect God. If you are taking notes, you can fill that in on your outline. To live in hope is to expect God. Now, am I talking about expecting because I'm owed something? Nope. That's not what I'm talking about. When you get into your car and you put your key in the ignition and you turn it, what do you, what, you can shut out the answer, it's okay. What, what do you want to have happen? For the car to start, right? Why? Why do you expect the car to start when you do that? That's what it's supposed to do. <laughs> I had a pickup truck, a 1988 Ford Ranger, that didn't do that. I had a mechanic look at it, and he could never, ever find the issue, and I was made to look like a fool because it ran just fine when he tried to start it, but every time I tried to start it, it wouldn't start. All right? Drove me nuts. When things don't operate the way we expect them to, what do we do? We trade them in. <laughs> we, we try to fix it. We, we do what we have to to change the situation. But we do that because we have an expectation that this thing is going to work. You guys, just as we expect our cars to do what they're supposed to do, we need to live with a confident expectation that God will ultimately accomplish all he says he will, and that we need to live a life aimed at that expectation. God will ultimately, that doesn't mean right this instant, in this moment, but God will ultimately accomplish all he says he will. I already talked about this a little bit, but expectation is different from entitlement. 
Sometimes we say we're expecting, but we're really just being entitled. Okay? Entitlement says, I am owed this. Somebody owes me this. It can, you can think of this at work. You can think of this in your home. You can think of this even with God. I am owed whatever the this is for you. This is what I'm owed. And we call that expectation. But it's actually entitlement. Here's the deal. God doesn't owe us anything. I'm not owed my next breath. I have done nothing that puts God in the debit side. <laughs> As a matter of fact, the opposite is true. I am the one owing everything. Expectation says, I know who God is. I know he is faithful and I know he will keep his promise. So guess what? I can live for him now. No matter what happens, no matter what it looks like, I can live for him right now. Because I know he's good. That's expectation. How do we go about living this out? How do we live out that expectation? Number one, if you're taking notes on your outline, to expect God, we must embrace. We must embrace. My grandparents had, uh, they lived in the Sacramento area while we were living in uh, the Eugene, Oregon area. And um, they had a swimming pool. And so what they, we would do is every summer we would go down and we would hang out with my grandpa and grandma. One of, the Bible, one of the great things about this is that we got to swim. It was hot and we, we loved swimming, so we got to do that. There was a diving board, a lot of fun. We had, I can't tell you how many hours upon hours. I was a prune every single day. Loved going out to this pool. I remember one time in particular, uh, I got up on the diving board. I, I, had, I, think, what I, I think what I was going to do was, was dive, I, I, I think. But by, I, I changed my mind kind of midway through the air as I jumped off the diving board, and it, by then it was too late. I just, I lost control of my body, and I ended up doing a belly flop. And man, did that hurt. Oh my goodness, that, that was not fun. It reminded me a little bit, anybody here seen The Karate Kid, the old one from the 80s? You know, you got Mr. Miyagi talking to Daniel. And he says, walk on the left side of the road, you're okay. Walk on the right side of the road, you're okay. Walk in the middle, squish like grape, right? You don't make up your mind. You choose, pick, pick one way, pick another way, but pick. Because if you do this wishy-washy middle stuff, you're going to get hurt. To embrace is about choosing. It's about picking a course and sticking with it. Now, obviously, there are times when we need to adjust our courses. I am not saying that you need to pick a reckless way or a way that is anti-God or anything like that and then go that direction come hell or high water. I am not saying that at all, all right? There are lots of things in my life I need to adjust. But there are some things in our lives that we do just simply need to embrace. Some places that we are at that we need to embrace we embrace our circumstances. 
This is hard. This one's hard. Because nobody likes the not fun stuff, right? Through 43 years of attempting to escape circumstances, I can tell you it doesn't work. That doesn't always keep me from not trying to. But I've learned trying to escape my circumstances isn't, it doesn't work. We need to embrace our circumstances. You know what else we need to embrace? Our weaknesses. Man, why? Why would we want to embrace these things? These are things that we want to have changed, right? Well, of course we want to have them changed. But who among us can, to borrow words from Jesus, who can add one hair to our heads? (laughs) I don't have that kind of control, do you? There are some things that we simply need to embrace. We don't need to be happy about them. I'm not talking about being happy. Just as our hope is not in an outcome, but rather a person, so embracing our circumstances is not about the circumstances themselves. Hear that. It's not about the circumstances themselves. It's about what God can and will do through our circumstances. What God will do in and through them. Romans 8, 28. Some of you probably have this memorized. You've, most of you have probably heard it at some point or another, even if it's on a Hallmark card. It says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now often this verse is lifted out of context. And it's used as a promise that everything is just going to be good. You got cancer? It's okay. I've actually heard people saying these kinds of things. It's okay. It's, it's good. God, God's going God's to work this out. And you know what? Ultimately, it is true that God will work it out. God promises to. That's who he is. That's what he does. But that doesn't mean this verse is a promise for every, every single one of our circumstances to have the closure and the outcome that we want them to. Sometimes that's how we use it. Sometimes that's how it's used. To say we're going to get what we want. What this passage is talking about is that God brings everything into the big picture of what He is doing, which is making all things new. And that in Jesus, every circumstance becomes part of the big picture. Have you guys ever seen or maybe had a poster or something of one of those mosaic pictures? It's made up of a bunch of tiny little pictures. There's one in particular that I I remember. It's of Darth Vader. I like Star Wars. Um, It's of Darth Vader. And this picture of Darth Vader is made up of a whole bunch of little pictures from different scenes in the Star Wars movies. Okay, so you've got all of these little pictures making up the big picture. In Jesus, every single one of our circumstances gets brought into him and it becomes, they all become part of the bigger picture. They're all part of the mosaic. 
They're all part of what he is doing because that's what he is able to do with them. Are there bad things? Yes. Are there things that we need to get out of? I am not suggesting that you stay in an abusive situation or that you don't get help for pornography or, 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 or drug and alcohol addiction or anything like that. I'm not saying that those things don't need to change. But every single situation, every weakness, every circumstance can be brought into Jesus and made part of the bigger picture. God wastes nothing. He wastes nothing. There is no circumstance so bad that God can't use it. There's no situation so broken that it can't be brought under the lordship of Jesus where it is redeemed and ultimately repurposed. The same is true of our weaknesses. We can embrace our weaknesses because God works even through those. God told Paul, my, what? My grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected through your weakness. Why? Because it's about God and not about us. It's about God. It's not about us. So we need to embrace these things. We embrace them. How do we embrace them? That's number two on your outline. To expect God, we must trust. To expect God, we must trust. When my son Caleb was little, he is a big boy. Now, that kid is solid, let me tell you. We were wrestling last night, and he about crushed me. It was, man, he just came barreling at me, and he knocked, I started calling him wrecking ball. He just came at me and knocked me over. I, I felt something in my back. I was like, oh boy, I'm going to pay for this tomorrow. But when he was little, I used to pick him up and throw him up in the air. And I got to where I would do that as, I would, I would toss him as high as I could. There were some people around, they were like, oh. I was like, nah, I got this. We're good. (laughs) We're good. And you know what? It never bothered him that I did that. And it, you know why it never bothered him that I did that? Because I didn't start out just by taking him and immediately start tossing him up as high as I could. I tossed him a little bit and I caught him. I tossed him a little bit more and I caught him some more. And he, through time and circumstance and, and repetition, he experienced, Daddy is here for me. He's going to catch me. He trusted me. So when I threw him in the air as high as I could, we've got pictures. He's got this big grin on his face. There's one where he's, he's actually fairly little. He's not even walking on his own. And, and he's actually, he's, he's, it looks like he's sitting on a chair in the air. It's pretty funny. I love that picture. Trust is about relying on someone other than ourselves regardless of what we do or don't have control of. And it's essential to living in the hope we have in the birth of Jesus. Just like Caleb learned to trust me over time as I tossed him up and caught him, we can choose to put ourselves in the position of trusting God in the middle of all we face. And here's how we begin to live this out. 
We trust by praying first. Trust by praying first. And we trust by pursuing, pursuing Jesus. When we bring, talking about the prayer, when we bring our circumstances to God, it's not that we're merely asking him to change our circumstances. Okay? We're asking him to change us in the middle of our circumstances. My father-in-law has a saying that I, I like. We can go through things or we can grow through things. And we can choose to put ourselves in that position by praying first. This was, um, this was a major part of how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. This is Matthew 6. Or, or it's the Our Father prayer in Matthew 6, 9 through 13. But verse 10 says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. You see, when we pray first, we open ourselves up to what God wants to do. We say, you're in charge, I'm not. How easy is that for us to do? Some of us, we might be able to fairly easily do that, at least in some things. Some of us, it may be a little bit difficult, but we need to begin to practice this. Your kingdom come, your will be done. In me, have your way. When we add pursuing Jesus to praying first, we become active participants in what God is doing. We spent a number of weeks last month talking about pursuing Jesus uh, and what that looks like. We, we did this in the Be, Become, Do series. If, if you missed that or you need a refresher on that, I encourage you, go to our website and, and you can click on the sermon podcast link and you can go listen to those messages there. There's just three of them. So I'm not going to unpack all of what that looks like today, but to say that to be with Jesus, we, to, the Be, Become, Do is to be with Jesus so we can become like Jesus, so we can do the things that Jesus did and does. Okay, that, that's what it means to pursue. Pursuing Jesus is not about being perfect. It's not about getting everything right in our lives. Pursuing Jesus is about making our home in him the way he invited us to. Making our home with him. John chapter 15, verses, verse 5, excuse me, says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus says this in the context of inviting his disciples, those closest to him. He's about, he has lived with these guys for three plus years at this point. He's about to go to the cross and is eventually going to ascend to the Father and he's still inviting them. He's still inviting them. He's inviting us. Make your home in me. Make your home in me so that we can be and do all that he has created us to be and to do. Again, this is focused on who he is, not on who we are. This is focused on what he has done, what he has accomplished, not what I can do on my own. You guys, when we pray first and we pursue Jesus, 
We're bringing our situations, our circumstances, our weaknesses, our very lives to God. And we're living out what we're told. This is what we're told in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. This is the essence of trust. This is what it means to trust and, and to expect. Because we're saying, I can't accomplish everything on my own. I need God to do what only God can And just as Mary expected God through her submission to him and his ways, we can live in the hope of Christmas by living the exact same way. We will do that when we embrace our circumstances and weaknesses and then trust through prayer and pursuit. Prayer and pursuit. So let's celebrate Christmas this year, but not the way the world does. Let's celebrate the hope we have, the good news that we have. Not that everything is just hunky-dory right here and now, but God is with us. God is with us. And because of that, we have hope. God meets us where we're at so that he can change us into the very image of Jesus Christ. That's the hope we have. That's the road we are on. I want to go ahead and have Jeff, if you can come back on up. We are going to make communion part of our service today. And uh, if we can have the ushers come on up, uh, we're not going to actually sing a song. We're going to make this. We're going to have this participation be part of, uh, be our act of worship at this point to close out this service as, as a point to be able to say, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to expect, not because of what I can do, but because what has been done. And the ushers are going to pass out the, the elements. I'm going to ask you to hold on to them. Hold on to the bread. Hold on to the juice. If, if you have never done this before, this is a way, this is a symbolic way of us to say we are following Jesus by remembering who he is and what he has done, what he has done for us, and then living our lives in that remembrance. Okay? Now, you don't have to be a member of Celebration Center to take communion. All right, so it, you, you don't have to be a regular attender at Celebration Center to take communion. You can simply take it with us. So as the ushers pass the elements around, go ahead and start that, guys. Um, just to hold on to the juice and the cup. What circumstance, as, as you're, you're getting your, your elements here, what circumstance 
do you need to embrace this morning? Not because of how good and happy it is, but where are you at in your life right now? Think about that for a minute. What weakness or weaknesses do you have? That you need to own, that you need to embrace and bring under the lordship of Jesus. I've got him in my life. What is happening in yours? Father, here we are in our circumstances, in our weaknesses. God, I, I, I know the ways that I have tried to, to avoid those things. And I ask you to forgive me for that. for trying to circumvent life through shortcuts. God, meet us right now in our circumstances and in our weaknesses so that, God, ultimately we're not, we're not just embracing those things, we're, we're, we're embracing you. Lord, we are poor. We are weak. And we need you. Whatever your circumstance is, whatever your weaknesses are, You don't have to do it out loud. But right now, just give it to God. Hold it up to Him. Not in shame. Not in guilt. But in confident expectation that He is good. As we sang this morning about the good, good Father. Now, how can you trust him? How can you begin to walk forward and trust this moment 
in your weakness, in your circumstance. Father, so often we try to make things happen on our own, in our own way, in our own time. And I know I'm guilty of forgetting about you. Forgive me for that, God. Forgive us. Have mercy on us. Let your kingdom come and your will be done in us, through us. We look to you as our only hope, as our peace, as our life. Jesus, thank you so much that through this celebration of communion, we get to participate in what you have done. In your broken body and your shed blood. Thank you for your obedience that has brought us into your kingdom. Thank you for your broken body. Let's take the, the bread together. Jesus, you have done what none of us could. You were obedient even to the point of death on a cross, on an implement of torture and ridicule and shame. And you embraced that so that we could embrace you. Thank you for dying for us. Let's take the cup together. Maybe you haven't begun your life as a Christ follower, but you want to. You want to live in this hope that we have, this living hope. I'm going to say a prayer, just make it your own. Jesus, here I am. I want to be in you. I want to live in the hope that is in you. I'm tired of trying to make things work out my own way. Give me your life. I give you mine. Jesus, for anyone who made that prayer theirs, I ask that you would fill them with your spirit, that you would fill them with your joy, the joy that is your presence. Let them know how deeply loved they are. And for all of us here, God, help us to live in the hope that we have in you. 
Not that we just talk about it, but that we actually live in it. So that you are changing us and that through us you're able to enter into situations and circumstances around us and begin to change those things as well. We look to you, Father, for everything this season and throughout all of our lives. Thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys, we can live in the hope. Let's do that this season. We can celebrate God, but we can also expect him living our lives in that confident expectation of him. Let's do that this week. Let's do that this season.